so good to see our ladies have such a good time together yesterday. I don't lie when I say I'm jealous. I don't get to go to these things. So it was good to see them have a good time together. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find Exodus chapter 3. We've been journeying our way through the book of Exodus. And before we dive in, I'd, I'd love to do another fun little exercise. Let me describe someone for you. And I want to hear from you who you think I'm talking about, okay? This person is seven foot one. <laughs> he is listed as weighing over 300 pounds. Four-time NBA champion. Played on six teams over a 19-year career. He played on uh, the Orlando Magic and the L.A. Lakers. And, interesting fact... He also released four rap albums, one of which has gone platinum. Some of you may think I'm talking about this guy. Here he is, he's coming. Shaquille O'Neal, and there's a whole generation in this room that has no idea who that is. Ask your parents, it's okay. <laughs> but some people might think I'm talking about Shaquille O'Neal, the one and only Shaq. But what if I told you I was describing myself? I was going to ask what you would think of that, but I think y'all already told me, right? And while this may sound outrageous, in our world, self-identity and self-definition has become everything. There are people who truly believe that their self-definition defines reality, that they are Shaq if they say and believe that they're Shaq, right? But let me say this. I think this is often rooted in the old adage we told our kids that you can be anything you want to be. And I think there's some good with that, right? You can work hard and achieve things. But let me say this, I don't care how much I want to be, I will never be Shaq. You know, playing in the NBA is not in my future. <laughs> Having a platinum rap album is also probably not in my future as well. And these lessons are countercultural but important. We don't get to define ourselves. We don't even know ourselves well enough to define ourselves often. Our self-identity and our self-definition often are not going to feel like they conform to the world. That's part of growing up. That's part of living in this world is often we're going to feel like we don't belong the way that we are. And today in Exodus chapter 3, Moses meets the one who has the right to define himself. Moses meets God who created and defines reality and everything in it. Moses gets an introduction from God himself in an unlikely revelation. Look with me, Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read the chapter together. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned." Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. 
for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to, this, say to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I, shall be, thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any neighbor who lives in her house and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on, and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of God. Moses here is now 80 years old. He'd spent 40 years in Pharaoh's house as his adopted grandson, and he had to flee due to what we saw last week, a conflict between uh, the, an Egyptian man that ended up in him being killed. He spent now 40 years in Midian. He's built a family. He's doing a normal day job as a shepherd. And he's tending his flock toward the west, toward Mount Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God. And this, is gonna, this mountain is going to play a big role in several moments in Moses' life going forward. But on this trip to Horeb, Moses gets a little bit of a surprise. God himself is going to pay him a visit. In an unlikely place, on a regular day, God is going, God, Moses is going to hear from God. And this is your main point in your notes this morning that you'll see. God revealed himself to Moses in an unlikely way. An unlikely, unexpected revelation of God himself. 
And we should start by noticing that this tells us something. God is radically different from us. Sure, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1, that we are made in God's image, and that means we have certain characteristics that God has. So God is loving, right? God is love, so we're able to love. And that in his image, we reflect certain things about God, but that doesn't mean that us being made in God's image means that God is in our image, And we need to consider that God reveals himself here and that he reveals something that's that's radically different than we are. God is not like us. And as we consider God's revelation of himself throughout this chapter, we'll do it in three questions. We're going to first ask, how did God reveal himself? How did God reveal himself here? And we see he appeared in a burning bush. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. You'll notice in the Old Testament in particular, when God appears to people, he never appears like we do. We often see angels, we'll see lots of other things, but God is spirit and so cannot be seen. The divine essence isn't made of material. It's not until Jesus comes on the scene, God in flesh, that we can look and go, there, that's what God looks like. And yet God, even though he's spirit and cannot be seen, still has a way of making his presence clear and know, doesn't he? There's an angel and there's a bush burning that is not consumed. Consider how terrifying this must be. Fire is great, but a fire that we can't control is a frightening thing. God is revealing himself here as an all-consuming fire, (laughs) as a fire that will not be quenched will not be put out, one that we cannot control. And then out of the fire, God speaks. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, Moses called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So you're at this bush. It's burning The bush isn't even fading away. It's not being consumed. And then out of the fire, there's a voice, and it knows who you are. God speaks. He's not silent. And I don't know what I would have done here, but I think we're kind of harsh on Moses here. People often give him a hard time for going, here I am. What kind of a response is that, Moses? I mean, I, I wouldn't have been speaking at all when fire began to talk to me, right? And Moses, I believe, recognizes the voice that's speaking. He knows this isn't a human voice with earthly authority. This is the very voice of God. God's people hear and recognize when God is speaking. Would we say that's true of us? We, Moses' response is, here I am. And I don't think that Moses is giving God a geography lesson. I don't think he's going, hey, I'm standing right here, God, because, friends, he didn't need to tell the voice where he was. The voice already knew who he was. These aren't words of geography. These are words of availability. Moses is saying, I'm listening. I'm here, and I'm not just halfway listening. I'm all in on what you want to say to me, God. Do we come to God's word that way? Friends, God is unlikely to come to you this Sunday afternoon in your fire pit. 
or in a burning bush or in some fiery display. God is unlikely to do that. But yet God has still spoken to us, hasn't he? God spoke to Moses in a humble bush. Why do we doubt he has spoken to us in his authored book? Friends, God spoke to Moses out of this flaming fire. He's spoken to us in a book. And will we come with the same level of availability? Do we come with open ears, with open hearts, ready to receive all that God would say? And notice Moses didn't come to God speaking with his own agenda or his own concerns or feeling like he needs to go, well, you know, God, there's a lot going on in this world that I need to tell you about. No, 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 no. He comes with a posture of availability. He says, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. I'm all yours, all ears. Moses puts the phone away and is listening in. But you might be thinking, that's easy for Moses to say. He's hearing an audible word from God out of a flaming bush. I'd be listening too. And friends, maybe you long to hear the audible word of God. Maybe you long to hear God's word audibly to you. And what if I told you there's something you could do when you get home to guarantee you hear God's word audibly? Here's what I want you to do. You can hear God's word audibly. Here's what you need to do. You go home. You go in your room. Shut the door. Make sure it's real quiet. And then you read your Bible aloud. There's even an app that can do it for you. You're able to hear God's word audibly to you. And what's important is that you come with a posture ready to hear and believe all that God would say. So many people want God to speak beyond his book, but we're not even mastering what's in his book yet. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, and Moses responds with a posture of humility. And look what happens next, verse 5. Then God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses is afraid. The God of his fathers is speaking, and the area where he is is holy ground. Moses recognizes something that we are prone to forget, that God is holy. He is set apart. He's completely other. He's completely perfect. And friends, God's holiness is something we should fear, but sadly, many in the American church have minimized the holiness of God. We'd rather have Jesus as our homeboy rather than Jesus as our Lord. We'd rather have a God who gives suggestions rather than a God who gives demands. We want God to be like us. Well, friends, he is radically different from us. And when we come face to face with God's holiness, friends, we should fear too. Imagine coming face to face with perfect, pure light, brighter than the noonday sun, how darkness is so clearly revealed. To come face to face with perfection, with the creator of beauty itself, our imperfection is displayed. When we come face to face with with the divine word, wisdom beyond the ages, someone who, friends, you know God has more info, has more knowledge than Google, and he doesn't even have to like search or grab a book, he just knows it. (laughs) He doesn't have to search for it. 
And in light of that, our foolishness is revealed. When we see God's goodness and God's godness, our creatureliness is revealed. And that's what happens to Moses here. God is like an all-consuming fire, and fire is terrifying, particularly when you don't have control over it. And God is terrifying if we're left to ourselves. If we're left in our sin, God can be terrifying. But the good news is God doesn't leave us in our sin and doesn't leave us without hope of a Savior. And we know this because God doesn't simply leave Moses in his terror. He doesn't simply say, hey, go over there, crouch in the corner, be afraid, and then never says anything else. God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. But the text continues with a second question that we need to see. Who is the God who reveals himself? Who is revealing himself here? How did God reveal himself in a burning bush? Who is the God who reveals himself here? We see that it's God, and we know that he's holy, but there's so much more to it than that. Moses asks an important question in the center of the passage, verse 13. Look at this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? It's a pretty good question. They're going to go, hey, he's like, hey, God, I'm going to go do what you tell me to do, but why should they listen to me? On whose authority do I come? What God are you? Are you one of the Egyptian gods? Are you someone else? And here's what God says, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In this passage, we read the very name of God, Yahweh. He says, that is my name. Your Bible likely has I am who I am and I am in sort of these small caps. And you'll notice throughout your Bible, the small caps Lord is going to appear like in verse 15 and other places. And anywhere you see that small caps Lord, it indicates a place where God's name is used, where the word Yahweh is used. The ancients actually would have left off some of the vowels that are there because they thought that name was too holy to have vowels in it. And the name comes from the Hebrew word for I am. And this is the covenant name of God, the one that God would use with his people only. And this name has been used throughout Genesis and Exodus. This is the only God, the one who created the world, the one who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who has spoken in the Bible, and his name is to be remembered throughout all generations. God says, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. In other words, he says, I'm the one that alone has the authority to define myself and to define all things. I alone rule and reign over everything. God's saying, I'm the self-existent one, the eternal, unchanging one. I have life in myself. I'm totally independent and in need of no assistance whatsoever from anyone or anything. That's even more than than us. We think about, well, I'm going to be totally self-sufficient, independent when I move out of the house and become an adult. No. 
God is truly independent and self-sufficient and in need of nothing and in need of no one. The Apostle Paul would later overflow and worship and say this in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Then Paul asks these rhetorical questions. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? In other words, does God ever ask for advice? No, he doesn't need our advice. Verse 35, or who has given a gift that he might be repaid? In other words, has God ever needed anything and like asked his buddy for 20 bucks? No, the creator of the universe doesn't need others to give him a gift for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need counsel from others. He's the one who has always been and will always be the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, the undivided, the unstoppable, the incomprehensible. He is the ruler over everything. He is not like us. Yahweh is the one and only true God. Any God who's not like that, nothing but an idol. (laughs) Any God that needs help is nothing but an idol. And he is the God to whom we must all answer. He is the God to whom at the end of our life we will stand before him and he will be our judge. Let me tell you something. You're not going to outsmart him. You're not going to give him an argument. He's never heard like, well, I believe in you, but you know, there's this thing in your word that I think I know about better than you do, God. (laughs) He's not going to be impressed with that. He's not going to be really impressed. You know, some of us will come before and go, God, don't you know all the great things I did in your name? He's like, I didn't need you. I could have made the rocks do it for you. I used a talking donkey. What makes me think you're so special? And we're not going to somehow, he's not, we're going to stand before him and give an account of our life. And if we're honest, Coming before a holy, incomprehensible judge of the universe is terrifying when we consider our sin. And you might stop me right there and go, Pastor, I'm a really good person. I mean, I'm here. Isn't this where good people go? (laughs) I'm like, well, no, (laughs) actually. But even just think about the Ten Commandments, for instance. The first four basically go, hey, Have you kept God first in your life and everything? I mean, all of us have to say no, right? But you might go, well, but 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 Pastor, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. None none of those. And yet Jesus came on the scene in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and said, if you've ever hated your brother, you've committed murder already. He says, if you wanted him dead, that's that's bad enough to consider murder of the heart. And adultery, Jesus says, if you've ever looked with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And friends, there's stuff everywhere, all over the TV, on Netflix, on your phone. It's everywhere. All of us stand guilty before God. But the good news, friends, is that God is not simply holy, Because if it's simply that God's holy and we're sinful, we're in a lot of trouble. (laughs) 
But God is also compassionate and merciful and loving. God has made a way to save the people of Israel and a way to save you. And that's actually why he's revealing himself to Moses. Third question, why did God reveal himself? Why did God reveal himself to Moses? Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. See it. God says, I see their afflictions and their oppressions. I've heard their cry. And he says, I know their suffering. God's holiness doesn't mean God is some far off being unconcerned with human affairs. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he acts. And he says, I have come down to deliver the people of Israel. I've come down to rescue them. I have come down to save. And in this case, he looks at Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver them. Look at verse 10. Come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And that really gives us a preview of the rest of the book of Exodus. God's going to send Moses back to deliver his people out of Egypt. And Moses felt inadequate for the task. In fact, he asked a very good question. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God has revealed who he is. And now Moses is left asking, who am I? (laughs) And it's important to remember, you will only ever get a right view of yourself if you start with a right view of God. You will only ever understand who you are once you understand who God is. And compared to God's greatness and holiness, Moses said, I'm small and I'm sinful. I can't do this. I need words of assurance and assistance. And that's what God gives to them. Verse 12, but God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God will be with them. He's going to send him. He's given him words of assurance. You're going to arrive right back at this spot and worship me. You know, Horeb is known by another name, Mount Sinai. It's actually likely that one half of the mountain is known as Horeb and the other half of the mountain was known as Sinai because the people were looking at the same mountain from two different ends and didn't know that it's the same mountain, right? And so he ends up right back. God is going to bring his people through Egypt and up back on this mountain to worship him. God's revealed himself to Moses in order to deliver the people through him. This reminds us that Moses is the deliverer, but God is the hero of the story, Whoever God uses is simply a servant. God must get all the credit. He's going to rescue the people. He's going to judge Egypt. And he's going to graciously bring the people through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And he even promises that he's going to bring them back. And they're going to listen to him. And they're going to actually come back with more than they started with. Look at verse 18. We get a preview of what's to come. 
And they will listen to your voice, Moses, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. (laughs) See it. God's going to rescue his people. And he's even going to bless them with the nice stuff of the Egyptians when they leave. God is going to come down to save. And this isn't the last time God will come down to save, is it? In fact, 1,500 years or so after this encounter with Moses, 2,000 years ago for us, God literally came down in flesh to reconcile us to himself. Jesus Christ, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And friends, he actually could pass the good person test. He never once sinned, gave his whole life toward loving God and loving neighbor perfectly as none of us could. And he went and he did what God sent him to do. Just as Moses was sent to save the people, Jesus was sent down to live a perfectly human life without sin, to go to the cross and there on the cross to die for our sins, not simply for us, but instead of us, to take upon himself the holy and righteous death that you and I deserve to be buried in a borrowed tomb and then to rise again on the third day so that we could have new and everlasting life through faith in Jesus. The holy God has made a way for unholy people to be in right relationship with him through faith in Jesus. Friends, the way to know that when you come before the holy God on the last day and you won't need to be terrified is to know that there's one who's already paid the debt for you. (laughs) To know that there's another one's perfect record that's been credited to your account. That you'll be standing before the judge and you'll have all of these crimes that you've committed, which is what sin is, and you can't pay the fine. But instead of going to hell there's one who walked into the courtroom and said i will pay their fine and he died upon the cross and he was buried and he rose again and now as it's the bible says he rose again and he acts as our advocate as a defense attorney saying god that one's mine god has revealed himself in a burning bush he's infinitely holy God is the I am, the incomprehensible ruler and creator of all things. And left to ourself, that's really bad news. Because we're sinners that have offended that holy God. But the good news is that God has also revealed himself as a savior and a deliverer. He said he would come down to save in an even greater way. He has come down in the person of Jesus to save us from our sins. That means that your hope today is not to simply buckle down and be a better person and do more good works. Like, my hope is just that I'm back here next Sunday. My hope is that I just buckle down and do better and try harder. Because let me tell you something, you're going to fall again. You're going to fail again. Anybody here had New Year's resolutions? How those going for us? Mine aren't going very well, right? 
And it also means your hope isn't having a new self-identity. Because let me tell you something, those are, fle- those are fleeting and failing. And friends, they're always determined by what other people think are popular and good. Don't let social media tell you who you are. Because friends, I don't even think there's real people on social media most of the time. Don't let them tell you who you are. Your hope is in Jesus. The bad news is that we're sinners condemned to eternal death. The good news is that Jesus came to pay our debt in his blood. And the best news is that God's salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And that means there's nothing any of us can do to boast. That means it's simply opening the hand of faith to receive it, to trust in it, to the way that you came in today and you sat down in the chair You didn't necessarily examine underneath the chair to know the arguments the chair existed or even that the chair could hold you. (laughs) Friends, you put your full weight and trust in the chair. That's what faith is, to place your full weight and trust in Jesus. And he'll take you on a journey just as he's going to take Moses and the people of Israel on a journey. Moses was a mess. His people were as well. And we must come to see that we're often even messier, but that God saves messy people for his glory. Let's stand and let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And right now, today, if you think about the holiness of God, if you've heard what I've said today and you're imagining that you're before the holy God, incomprehensible, uncreated, that is terrifying to you. Today, I would have you to feel the weight of that in your heart. I'd have you, if that's a thought that terrified you, maybe even to pray this prayer and to ask Jesus to save you. To say, God, in light of your holiness and my sin, I'm in trouble. I deserve death, and I need Jesus to be my Savior. I ask you now to come into my life, to save me, to draw me to yourself, to have me place faith in you. Jesus, you've died for me. You've risen for me. You've done everything needed to bring me to God. So I ask that in these next moments, you would bring me to yourself. You would save me. And Lord, whatever business that we would do, we would do now with you. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
First, if you're visiting with us, or you've been visiting for a while, and you want to get connected with our church, there's these red Get Connected cards at the back by the offering baskets. Feel free to fill one of these out. Leave it back there. One of us would love to follow up with you. There's also, for those that have been visiting our church for a while and want to learn more, maybe got questions, maybe just want to kind of get to know us a little more, we've got our Discover class on October the 2nd. That's two weeks away. There's a sign-up back at the back. Um, bulletin board there. We'd love for you to sign up, stick around. We'll have some light refreshments. And this class is obviously a chance to discover who we are, but to take that next step beyond just filling a seat on Sunday to being a part of our family and to joining with all that God is doing here. And the message of, of the gospel is a reminder that not only has God saved us, but he sent us out into the world now to see that others might be saved. So we close with this benediction, this sending out into the world to make the news of Jesus known. This from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.